You are listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. As I said, I, we're, we're rolling through this deeper series, and, and I get to talk about the other E, which is evangelism. And it's interesting, when I talked to, when I, I started researching this, I looked back at some of my other sermons, and I, I found out that I speak about evangelism a lot. And the reason is because God has done so many amazing things in my life, it's easy to evangelize for me. I love it. I want everybody to be able to evangelize, not like me, but just to be able to evangelize. But, you know, sometimes when we, when we evangelize, you hear that big E, you know, evangelize, and people are like, oh, especially Christians. It's actually one of the hardest things that Christians do for one reason or another. You know, evangelism gets a bad rap. It's because, I feel, it's because for a long time we've kind of been force-fed Christianity. You know, it's been shoved down our throats, been beat over the head with a Bible, you know, turn or burn, you're going to, you're sinning, you go to hell, all this. And, and that's not what evangelism is about. It makes it, it makes it hard for us to be able to do that. Or what's worse, maybe we haven't come from one of those places. Maybe it's been pretty easy for us to, to, uh, you know, to, to be a Christian, but what we fight is our history. We fight what, what other people have done. Erwin McManus, uh, in, the, in his book, The Barbarian Way, which uh, if you haven't read it, it's a fantastic book. It's about 150 pages. It's a really good book. But he said this, for far too long, sincere followers of Christ have had to live with the consequences of those who use religion to manipulate others and camouflage, hypo camouflage hypocrisy. That's why it makes evangelism so hard because people have used it to enslave people. They've used it to take from people. They've used it to deceive people. They've used it to line their own pockets. And so we, as God-fearing Christians, as people who want to talk about it, have to fight that. And it's hard. It's an uphill battle. But at the same time, it's an uphill battle, and it's a fight that we must fight. We, as Christians, we must fight this. But how do we fight it? Well, the first thing you do, if you've ever been in a fight, or you ever thought about going in a fight, or you've ever watched a fight on TV, you have to prepare. You have to be ready to go to battle. You have to be ready to step into the ring. And there's two things that you need. The first one really is dependent on the second one, but I'll tell you the first one in Revelations 12, 11, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony is one of the things that you need. But how do you get your testimony? Well, let me take you to number two. Number two is the secret to evangelism. Now the 830 service, they got the secret and online we're gonna say it. And so now everybody's gonna know it. The secret to evangelism is this, an encounter with Jesus. That's it. You have an encounter with Jesus, then you can testify of his goodness, then you can overcome. It's just that easy. It's just how it works. You have an encounter with Jesus, and then you can, become, you can evangelize. Once you have that encounter, oh, I lost my notes. Once you have that encounter, it becomes your testimony. There's two things that you can do when you have that encounter. Two things and only two things. First thing, you can accept it. You can become a new creation in Christ. You can walk with God. You can be like, okay, this is where I am. This is what I'm doing. This is how it is. Or you can deny it. That's it. There is no, well, I kind of sort of know. You either do or you don't. It's very black and white. It's very easy. It's very easy. But no matter what you choose, whether you choose to walk in it or deny it, you will be changed. You will be changed. Always you will be changed. Even if you deny the encounter and walk away from Jesus, you will be changed. Oh, I don't think that's the truth, Pastor Josh. Really? Well, how many times have you been woken up at three o'clock in the morning when you're sound asleep and your mind brings back that one time that you were sitting at a restaurant and the waiter put your food down and he says, enjoy your meal. And you said, you too. 
That's what it's about. If it's going to remind you of one time that you misspoke, trust me, it's going to remind you of the time that you encountered Christ. So it's just a choice. Either way, your encounter with Jesus changes you. That encounter creates an adventure in your life. You get to choose which way you're going to go. You get to choose your own adventure. And that's why I've titled my message, Choose Your Own Adventure, A Supernatural Encounter. Now, for some of the folks that are around my age, maybe you remember this book series. It was incredible. If you don't remember it, I'm going to encourage you to get on Amazon, buy the book. No, they're not paying me. I'm just telling you, buy the book series. They're fun. Your kids will love them. You'll love them. But here, let me read a little bit about this. 1979, Bantam Books released a series called Choose Your Own Adventure, where you, the reader, are put in the position of the protagonist or the main character. Through a series of choices, you determine the outcome of the story. For instance... Uh, in uh, Choose Your Own Adventure number 18, called The Underground Kingdom, published in February 1983, it says this. You're exploring an underground kingdom, a fantastic and strange world at the center of the earth. As you stand inside the largest cavern you've ever seen, you're amazed at the dazzling sight before your eyes. If you decide to climb the shining mountains, please turn to page 36. If you explore the weightless peaks, turn to page 85. And if you go, if you go to the Hill of Diamonds, turn to page 88. But be careful. The underground kingdom can be dangerous. You might be attacked by the vicious Kota beast or caught in the middle of a war between the Rakas and the Archpods, two barbarian tribes. You may not make it back alive. What happens to you in the underground kingdom all depends on the choices that you make. Sometimes you make good choices and you make it to the end of the book. Sometimes you make it to like page 28 and you got to start over. In the early books, there were actually, some of them had 44 different endings. So they encourage you to go back and keep reading them so you're not making the same mistakes twice. Is this sounding familiar? Is this sounding like a testimony? Is this sounding like what happens when God comes into your life and you actually accept and walk in that encounter? That you get to make those choices? The beauty of it is, is if you make a bad choice, you can, you can come back and you can confess and you can get right with God and keep going and try again. So today we're going to talk about this. Today, if you choose not to follow along with our adventure, that's fine. Your journey ends here in about 35 minutes. So just sit tight. But if you choose to walk with us on this adventure, turn to chapter to Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Yeah, you like that. That's good. That's good. That's a transition. I'm not going to read all of these. I'm not going to read all these verses to you. I encourage you to read them. Because here's what happens. And there's a reason that I'm not going to read them to you. Because oftentimes when we talk about evangelism, people associate reading and quoting scripture with evangelism. And while there is a place for that, and while that may be the case sometimes, it's not always the case. The easiest way to evangelize is just to talk. Just to talk, read the story. Read the story, provide the hunger, tell, read the story and then talk about what that means in your life. How, you, how that affected you how that affected you. So let me set the scene. Jesus had, had just, has just finished up. Uh, he just, just delivered the man uh, from all the demons and they asked him to leave because they were freaked out by him. So he got in a boat and he was headed back. And as he got to shore, as he got there, he, he saw a crowd that was waiting for him. And as he steps off the boat, this crowd kind of rushes him and, and, and they're, they're all around him. And, and, you know, he's, he's kind of trying to get out of the water. And, and so uh, uh, this man named Jairus, who's the leader of a local synagogue, he comes up and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And he says, he says, you know, hey, 
my daughter, she's sick. She's 12 years old. She's dying. She hasn't woken up. I need you to come see her. I need you to come see her and figure out what's going on. At that same time, we're introduced to another person. There's a woman who has an issue of blood for 12 years and she's been, she's been trying, she's, she's reached this desperation standpoint and she's like, I gotta see this guy. So she, she's not allowed to go out. We're gonna talk about this in a minute, but she decides to make her way to see Jesus. Now I need to stop right here because you have to understand two things that I just said because they're, in, they're, they're important parts of the story. 12 years ago, Jairus held his newborn daughter in his hands and he smiled at her and he loved her and he prayed over her, he talked to her. She was the apple of his eye. She was the light of the world to him. I mean, that was all, that, that was it. That was his firstborn, that was his daughter. That was his blood. Now, if we have parents, if you're a parent, just remember that. If you're a guy, remember looking, and you have a daughter, just remember looking at your daughter. There's nothing like a daddy's girl. There's nothing like the love of a father and a daughter. I, I'm telling you, I have boys and girls, and I love them equally. I, I, my heart just grows immensely every time I see them. But when you look at that little girl, you're like, man, I'd do anything for that girl. Anything. So imagine, keep that in mind. She's a newborn. Now on this side, we have a woman. We don't know a lot about her. Probably an average woman, average job, doing average things, just going about her day. And as with women of that age, she, her body starts to go through its natural cycle, natural process. And so she, at that time, that makes, makes women unclean. And so she retreats back and, and does the things that she needs to do. She's, this is normal, happens every month. Now Jairus, here we are six months later, his daughter's sitting up. She's smiling when he comes home from the synagogue. Maybe she's, she's starting to laugh, starting to giggle a little bit, you know, and he's just happy to see her. He's excited to come home because he gets to see his little girl. He's like, okay, this is great. You know, maybe she's starting to babble a little bit and it's fun, throw up here and there. It's all good though, because that's what it is. It's, it's just, it's fun. Kids are fun. Now let's go back to our woman six months later. Things haven't changed. She's still unclean. She's starting to fall into depths of despair. She's starting to, to take this like, what is going on? Why? This isn't right. Maybe she goes and sees a doctor. You know, she can't go out a lot because she's unclean. She can't touch anybody. She can't bump into anybody because then they become unclean. So she, maybe she goes to the doctor and she's like, you know, I don't know what's going on. The doctor's like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So she's kind of fallen into this, this loneliness. Now Jairus, his daughter, now she's two years old and, and he's, he's enjoying her. I mean, she's walking around, she's toddling, she's, she's doing all the things, getting into all the things, terrible twos, whatever you want, because she's doing everything that she can because she's learning. She's, she's developing, she's finding these pieces out. She's like, man, this is really cool. I can do this and this happens. And if I cry, I get food. And if I mess myself, the parents clean me. It's great, I got no cares in the world. And Jairus gets to come home and he gets to see his little girl every single day. But here we are 24 months later. This woman has fallen deep, deep into despair, deep into loneliness. She can't go out. She has nothing. She has nobody. She can't sit and talk to somebody for fear that they might be unclean when they leave. She's alone, truly alone. 
She can't go out in society. She can't go to the market. She can't do any of these things. She's alone with her thoughts and with her feelings. Imagine what she's going through. Now, here we are five or six years later with Jairus' daughter. She's going to, maybe she's, she, in, in our days, she'd be getting ready to start kindergarten, you know, so she's kind of got this mind of her own. She's developing her own personality. Maybe she's like my girls and, you know, is a little headstrong, a little hard-headed and doesn't want to listen to dad all the time. But, you know, she still does the things that she needs to when she's told numerous times. But she's, but, but, but she's growing. She's, she's growing and she's, she's playing and she has friends. Jairus gets to see her and enjoy her, pour into her, speak over her, celebrate her on her birthdays. But here we are five or six years later, deep in the pit, spending money after money, money that you don't have, spending it trying to find a doctor that might be able to tell you what's going on in your life, why this won't stop. You can't go to local doctors, so maybe you have doctors come to you and just imagine the shame and the guilt. For five or six years, she's been unclean. Five or six years, she's been sitting there alone. Y'all, we went through 2019 and 2020 and tasted that loneliness. This woman's done it for five or six years already. Just continue to amplify that. Just think about that. Feel where she is. She sits down in her chair at home and she's like, man, I just want to go and see somebody. I just want to talk to somebody. Get a cup of tea with somebody. But I got nothing. I got nobody. Now Jairus, his daughter, is about 10 years old now and she's kind of made her way. She's, she's, she's growing. In another two years, she'll probably be bat mitzvahed and, and that makes her a, a young woman and, and that's about the age that she's going to be ready to be married. She's had 10 years of life. She's had 10 years of ups, 10 years of downs. Anybody who's a parent knows that the ups and downs with childhood are great and they're low and they're great and they're low. But at the same time, it's your kid and you love them and it's your, it's your, it's your future. It's what you pour into them. So Jairus is experiencing all this with, with his daughter and with his, with his wife and they get to, to do all of this and have the birthdays and, and prepare for this bat mitzvah that's coming up. But over here, 3,650 days later, 10 years, six times longer than we sat in seclusion. 10 years, or five times longer. 10 years she sat there. 10 years she wasn't able to go out into society. 10 years she's gotten to the point where she spent all her money. Maybe she can't go to the market anymore because everybody knows who she is. Everybody knows what, what's wrong with her. Everybody knows that she's clean. They're not gonna get around her. Maybe she has to pay some kids to go to the market and just to get her food and just and she prays that they come back with it. Hopes they don't steal her money. Because what's she gonna do? She can't chase them. She can't go out. She's lonely. She's getting desperate. Now comes the point where we talk about both of them. Because Jairus' daughter, what should be a celebration year for bat mitzvah, of her journey to womanhood, now is clouded. It's went from joy and celebration to desperation and despair. His daughter is sick, she's dying. I mean, he has no choice. He's probably had the doctors come, he's probably prayed over her, he's probably done everything that he as a, as a rabbi knows to do, as a leader of a synagogue, he's done everything that he knows to do, except one thing, 
And that's because he heard of this guy that works miracles. And he's coming to his area, and so he goes and meets him. Puts himself down at his feet, humbles himself before him. Now you have to understand, most of the Jews, most of the leaders didn't really like Jesus. They didn't like him. So for, for the leader of a synagogue to come and humble himself at the feet of Jesus, what kind of implications does that have on a ministry? What kind of implications does that have as a religious leader in the area? What does that, what does that show people? That's big. That's a big choice. But what else is he going to do? He hit that desperation wall. Now our woman, she hears about Jesus. She thinks, you know what? I got nothing to lose. I mentioned that if she touches somebody, that they, be unclean, that they become unclean and they have to go through cleaning rituals. But don't touch a rabbi when you're unclean because you, that's, you could get stoned. You can be killed to, for doing that. But what's she do? I got nothing else. I got nothing else. I'm dying by myself. Why not try it? So she gets cleaned up as best she can. She, she puts her cloak on, she puts her robe on, and she makes her way. She makes her way to where she hears Jesus is. Now back to the story, Jairus and Jesus start walking towards his house. They're walking along the path, maybe talking, maybe, maybe Jairus is talking to him, being like, man, I, we've tried everything. I don't know what's wrong with this girl. She's, we've tried to wake her up. We've tried all these things. Nothing's happening. Crowds surrounding him. Crowds are, are packed in. And they're, you know, they're touching Jesus. They're watching him. When's he going to do something cool? What's he going to do? They're watching. They're, they're walking with him. Picture this in your mind. Big crowd, Jesus walking along with Jairus, heading to Jairus' house. And along comes this woman. All she needs to do is get close to Jesus. But she knows because she's unclean, she can't walk right up to him. Because if she walks right up to him, that's just bad news. She can't come in from the sides. Because if she comes in from the sides, people are going to see her. They're going to push her out. She's pushing her way through the crowd. Every person that she touches that she bumps her arm with, now you're clean, unclean, unclean, unclean. Everybody she's touching becomes unclean. But she doesn't care because she has her eyes focused on Christ. She gets to the point where she's close enough and she reaches out. Rather than yelling, Rabbi, please heal me. Teacher, please heal me. She just reaches out and touches the hem of his garment and immediately stops bleeding. Immediately, 12 years of loneliness, 12 years of despair, 12 years of what she had fought is gone. And Jesus stops. He says, wait a second. Who touched me? His disciples are like, Dude, everybody touched you. Everybody is touching you right now. He's like, no, 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 no. Who touched me? I felt power leave my body. Who touched me? Now, this woman had a choice. She had a choice. This is, this is her page. This is at the bottom of her page, her Choose Your Own Adventure book. She has a choice. She had her encounter. She just touched Jesus. She's healed. Her choice. When Jesus says, who touched me? She can shrink back into the crowd and duck off and walk away, and no one would be the wiser. Jesus knows, but nobody else knows. She could just, she could take her healing and run. She's good. Or she can stand up and accept it and start to walk in the newness that she is. And what does she do? She says, I touched you. It was me. I did it. Now imagine that crowd that's all packed around. 
oh my gosh, she's unclean and she just touched a rabbi. Give me a rock. They stand back, whoa. And Jesus just looks at her, says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That's her decision to make her way through. She reached that desperation point, make her way through, touch the hem of Jesus' upgarment. Do you think for one second that she walked off and she was like, oh yeah, I'm great, yay. Right. No, you know, girl got home, washed up, got her, got her hair done, went out to the market and was like, guess what, everybody? I'm healed. Like me, love me, tell me how great I am because I got a story for you. 4,380 days she sat in loneliness, in desperation, in despair until she got to a point where she said, I got nothing left. You want it, God. You can have it. That's what it took for her. But our story's not done. Because I said Jesus paused and he addressed this woman and he talked to her. And in that pause, in that holy moment, someone came up to Jairus's daughter. Jairus's daughter died, and somebody from his house came up and said, Trouble the master no more. Trouble the teacher no more. Your daughter's dead. Now he has a choice. They're both on the same, same two people. Same time frame, leading up to one thing, an encounter with Christ. Now, Jairus is standing there. I told you, I'm a dad. And someone just came up to me and said, don't worry about it. Your daughter's dead. I can, I can sit there and I can look at Jesus and I can be like, hey, thanks for, thanks for coming, man. I got a funeral to plan for. This is, thanks. But if I do that, what happens? I start to think about that situation. I start to think about it. I, I met him at the boat and he said he would come and, and we start walking and, and he paused. And, and why did he pause? What was, it was that lady. It was, wait a second. She made him stop. She, hold on a second. She made him stop. And when she made him stop, my daughter died. She's the reason that my daughter's not alive. I don't know if he would have done anything, but by God, he was the last person that I could have had. So it's because of her. She's the one. As a father, tell me you wouldn't be that way. Tell me you wouldn't want to displace your anger, project it on somebody else. She got her blessing. I didn't get mine. My daughter's dead now because of you. Now, he's the leader of a synagogue. Imagine what happens when he starts to tell that story, that seed of hatred. A healed woman blessed. Now she's, she's cast out again. Because, because he's angry. That was one of his choices. What was his other choice? What did he do? He walked with Jesus. He went to his house. Now imagine that walk. If you have kids, imagine that walk. If you don't have kids, just, just put your, if you have siblings or someone that you care about, just put yourself in that position where you're doing that walk. You know this, you know the person is dead. You know your kid is dead. And you're walking. Imagine that weight, that heaviness, that despair. God, why am I, why are we even doing this, man? I really don't want people around. I just want to sit and I just want to be sad. But you're walking with the king of kings. And you get to the house and there's a whole bunch of people there because everybody knew what was, that, that your kid was sick and there's a whole bunch of people there. And Jesus walks in and, and he says, he says, okay, 
why are you guys sad? She's just sleeping. And they're like, yeah, dude, she is dead. She is gone. And they start to laugh and make fun of Jesus. I mean, can you imagine being them? Oh, no, especially knowing what you know now. You don't want to do that. But they laugh and they make fun. And Jesus finally says, okay, everybody out. Mom and dad, you stay. Peter, James, John, you stay. And Jesus walks over to the bed where this little girl lay dead. Maybe they've, maybe they've put a blanket on her. Maybe they're just waiting for whatever comes next. She's gone. Jairus is probably sitting there weeping. His wife's probably sitting there weeping. And Jesus leans over to her. And he says, Talita kumi. Which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And her eyes open. And he says, get her something to eat. She's hungry. Now, what happens? Does that happen if, J if Jairus changes and goes the other direction? Absolutely not. He walked with Jesus to his blessing. There's a reason Jesus paused, because he knew what was going to happen. He knew in that time frame, 30 seconds, one minute, five minutes, whatever it is, he knew what was going to happen. And that was a way to manifest his glory in their lives. Now, what happens? He tells the parents, he says, don't say anything. Don't say a word. But everybody else in that house saw that little girl dead. Everybody else in that house walked up and checked her pulse. They're like, she's gone. She's cold. That little girl is gone. And now she comes walking out, eating a sandwich, like, what's everyone doing? Why are we hanging here? That's what happens when we have an encounter with Jesus. You know that those people, even though they weren't in the room, even though it wasn't their encounter, that was Jairus' encounter with Jesus. But they were witnesses to that encounter. And what happened when they were a witness? You know that they went out and told. You know that they were like, you have got to see this. Look, this little girl was dead and now she's alive. And it was that dude that did it. Your story, your evangelistic story, your encounter spreads the gospel. They both had a choice. They got to choose their own adventure. They got to make that decision of what they were going to do. They got to see the goodness of God. Why don't we do that? If we truly have an encounter with Jesus, if we truly meet him and have an encounter with him, we, become, we accept that encounter, we become a new creation. How can we be a new creation when we're holding on to the old? When we become a new creation, we walk a new way, we talk a new way, we have new interests. It's like getting in the shower and getting clean and putting on dirty clothes. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? You don't. You don't do that because you're new, you're fresh, you're clean. So why would we want to, to have an encounter with Jesus and then hold on to the old ways? What stops us? It's the idea that people will come against us. Do you really think that those people that are going to come against you, if you have an encounter with Jesus and those people come against you, do you really think they were for you in the first place? <laughs> I would probably say not. If we can sit there for hours and talk about our favorite sports team, and hours and talk about our favorite food and take pictures of it, or we could sit there for hours and talk about our job, why can't we spend hours talking about their savior? 
the one who changed our lives, the one who changed your life. Look, I'm just, I'm gonna, this may burst a bubble, but your favorite sports team, if you stopped rooting for them, probably wouldn't know the difference. Just gonna say, their success or failure does not hinge on how loud you scream, how many, how many, how many Super Bowl rings you, you have won, how many parades you go to. so fired. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't hinge on you. That food that you want to talk about, guess what? If you leave it out and unattended, it's going to rot. That job that you talk about all the time, when you die, they're going to hire somebody to fill your spot. Oh, well, I own my own company. Guess what? It's going to go away if you're gone. Sorry, it's not going to be the same thing. You shouldn't shy away from talking about Jesus because Jesus is your eternity. The problem is we are, as people, we are such a, an inward focused, a me focused society. And this is not condemnation. This is just the truth. We are so me focused and how it happens to me and what people are going to think of me and what the, when I walk out, how I'm going to be looked at, or if I carry my Bible, they're going to automatically think that I'm a Bible thumper shoving the word down their throat. And that's not the case. But what does it matter if they think that? What does it matter to you? It shouldn't. You're a new creation. You're a new creation. Jesus didn't care about what people thought of him. He didn't. And if we're called to be like Jesus, why should we care? Oh, my best friend in 30 years is not going to talk to me anymore. That's what we call a shallow relationship. Your best friend of 30 years that, that no longer decides to walk with you really wasn't a best friend for 30 years. Or maybe it's because Jesus has been working their life and they're denying their encounter. It's tough. But why do we shy away? Well, maybe it's those things, or maybe it's something a little bit deeper. Maybe, maybe you're like Jairus in that moment, and you're harboring some anger, some frustration towards somebody. Maybe, you, maybe that's a situation that you had, where because of what you were praying for when you were walking with Jesus, Jesus paused and blessed somebody else, and you see that blessing. And now you're, you're, you're projecting your anger, your frustration, your hatred towards them. Maybe that's where you're sitting. Maybe you think that, that you've been praying for so long and Jesus just doesn't hear you anymore. Maybe you're praying for that blessing. God, it's been, it's been 12 years. I've been praying. I've examined my life. I don't have any sin that I know of. My parents didn't have any sin that I know of. I've repented of everything. I'm just praying, God, heal me, make me clean. And it just hasn't happened yet. Stop me, God. I want to be able to be involved with people. Maybe you've just kind of given up. Like, ah, I'm praying too long for this. Maybe. Maybe that's where it is. Maybe you think you've done too much. I've lived too hard of a life. Pastor Josh, you don't know. You're right. I'll give you that. I don't know. I know some, but I don't know. I've lived too hard of a life. I've done too many things. I've hurt too many people. I've, I've done too much. Here's what I would say to that. On the road to Damascus, Paul, or Saul, had an encounter. Do you know that when Paul, when he walked 
into heaven, all the people that he martyred rejoiced he was there. So don't tell me you've done too much. That's just an excuse. That's just an excuse. Maybe it's, maybe it's deep, but it's simple. Maybe you just really haven't had an encounter with Jesus. Oh, Pastor Josh, I've been a Christian for 15 years, but have you had an encounter with Jesus? Have you had that heart shift? Have you, have you, has, has that, that lock clicked into place where it's like, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I don't hunger for the things I used to hunger for. I don't want and desire the things I used to want and desire. I don't want to go that route. I don't want to pick up that bottle. I don't want to, I don't want to go to that website. I don't want to do those things anymore because why? It, it makes me feel unclean. Look, when you have an encounter with Jesus and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you should be itching to get out of your skin. You should be itching to get away from all of the old. Throw it out, burn it, dump it down the sink, whatever you got to do, put the parental blocker on. You got to get away from it. You are a fleshly being, and in that fleshly being, sin, sin and temptation is going to come at you. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the one person, the one, the one entity, the one being that hates you more than anything is the enemy. And the second that you have an encounter with Jesus, he's going to come at you full force. Because he doesn't want you to go down that road. He doesn't want you to. I get passionate about evangelism. I get passionate about telling my story, about encouraging you to tell your story. I'm not asking you to quote, quote scripture. I'm asking you just to read, talk about it, find out how it relates to you. There's a whole theology about putting yourself in the, in the, in the stories of the Bible and people that argue that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Whatever side of the fence that you line up on with that discussion, here's what I'm going to tell you. Read the Bible. Ask Jesus what he's done in your heart. Ask Jesus what he's done in your life and then let him show you and talk about it. Good Lord, talk about it. He's good enough. He's worthy enough. The worship team's getting ready to come up and we're going we're gonna to go back into worship here in a minute. But the reason that I'm so passionate about it, y'all, is because I've tasted it. I've seen it. I've, uh, when you have it, man, there's nothing like it. It's truly a, a, a cool drink of water on a hot day when you're just dying of thirst. Truly. And then you just can't get it out quick enough. When you live in the overflow, and you just can't give it out. You just can't pour it out quick enough. Thank you so much for listening to Southview Church. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multicultural, multi-generational, Holy Spirit-filled and led community. We believe that who the sun sets free is truly free. If you would like to connect with us further, check us out at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.